Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast, where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And we didn't think this day would come. We didn't think we'd take this ride with you, but we're doing it. We're talking about League of Legends. Man, I mean, this podcast has really gone downhill, Alex. Started as a Halo podcast, now here... No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, League of Legends has done so much for the professional gaming world. I mean, we were going to have to talk about this game. We're we going to have to have some lols. We'll have to have some, some good old-fashioned lols. I know this is the game. This is the Fortnite of MOBAs. This is the game that coined the term toxic players, toxic gamers, the ideas of it. And being like one of the most vile group of people ever. But then you have so much fun that's wrapped into it. And especially when you play with a group of people, whether you're watching Worlds, whether you're playing Teamfight Tactics, whether you're having like any offshoots, even playing Valorant, you know that all of this came from Riot and came from their start with League of Legends. And a very similar path to development that we see with a lot of these upstart developers, the, their first games. And when you have a smash hit that comes out of it, it's always a really interesting path to that. When League of Legends came out, I spent a decent amount of time with League of Legends. But mm-hmm. like you said, man, nothing like getting bullied in your, uh, your first playthrough on a game that you're real, real bad at. Yep, it definitely drives those players away. And I know that's what allowed Blizzard to come in. It's what allowed, you know, uh, EA to come in along with Respawn and all these other ones that have popped up. But alas, here we are and here we are talking about it. So let's get to it. You ready to lol? I'm ready to lol it up. League of Legends or lol, commonly referred to as League, is a 2009 multiplayer online battle arena video game developed and published by Riot Games. Inspired by Defense of the Ancients, a custom map for Warcraft 3, Riot's founders sought to develop a standalone game in the same genre. Since its release in October 2009, the game has been free to play and is monetized through purchasable character customization. The game is available for Microsoft Windows and the Mac OS. In the game, two teams of five players battle in player versus player combat, each team occupying and defending their half of the map. Each of the 10 players controls a character known as a champion with unique abilities and differing styles of play. During a match, champions become more powerful by collecting experience points, earning gold, and purchasing items to defeat the opposing team. In the game's main mode, Summoner's Rift, a team wins by pushing through to the enemy base and destroying their nexus, a large structure located within. So pretty dumbed down, but 
is what it is. 5v5 with your top lane, your middle lane, your bottom lane, and your jungle. And you basically sparse it out through there, getting various objectives, and then eventually crushing your team and giving them the old GG. The old GGs. GG, BB. And as Derek said, let's jump into development and what it took to create the game that started off as playing through a mod and then wanting to not be a mod and then being its own thing and where it is today. The start of League of Legends can be traced all the way back to when co-founders Mark Merrill and Brandon Beck met at a summer program before attending college. Both were attending the University of California to study business, and after the pair graduated, they became roommates in West Hollywood and worked in various career paths, nowhere near video games per se, but much more in that business orientation of marketing and sales. Merrill and Beck were drawn together through their mutual love of video games, and both came from game-loving households. Their apartment had two gaming setups where they spent a good amount of their free time. At one point, Beck was one of the top 100 StarCraft players in the world. They had many conversations about making their passion more than just a hobby and breaking into the gaming industry. They would become advisors to the board of directors for a gaming company, learning about what it takes to run a gaming business. Of all the problems that Merrill and Beck saw in game development, one stood out. Developers were abandoning their games and the active, passionate communities attached to them far too quickly. So around 2005, they started to look into the video game industry to see where they could fit in. They spent nine months designing their idea for their first game, Onslaught. Their inspiration for League would start with a Warcraft 3 mod called Defense of the Ancients, or Dota, part of a new genre known as Multiplayer Online Battle Arena, or MOBA. Warcraft 3 shipped with a map editor, allowing modders to create Dota. This mod had the champion being the main focus of the character's attention. In Warcraft 3, the champion was just one part of a team. This champion would level throughout the match, gaining more weapons and abilities. This wasn't the first MOBA, though. A similar game mode can be traced back to StarCraft's Aeon of Strife custom mode, but it never reached the popularity that Dota did. Dota was so successful that it had 14 to 22 million monthly players across the world and was getting over 10 million downloads every map revision. Dota was so successful that it had 14 to 22 million monthly players across the world and was getting over 10 million downloads every map revision. Though the pair loved the mod, it was just that, a mod. It wasn't polished, and it relied on a team of fans to keep up with it. It also wasn't easy to find. The pair decided that they wanted to make a game that would be something that was always growing, evolving, and changing. Since a lot of the games they played didn't update after they mastered the game, it was frustrating to them. They also hated seeing developers stop support for a game with so much potential just to satisfy the need to build something new. This is why they ditched the idea of creating a Dota 2. After a year of planning, they would open an office in September 2006 in an old machine shop, and they would create an outline for the game they wanted to create. These five things were player experience first, challenge convention, focus on talent and team, take play seriously, Stay hungry and stay humble. Ah, I see Kendrick Lamar has borrowed lyrics from the League of Legends start. Continuing on, Marilyn Beck needed people who were passionate about game design and who knew Dota like the back of their hand. So they held a Dota tournament at the University of California. For the most part, they did not find what they were looking for and actually spent a good amount of time showing students how to play the game rather than conducting a tournament. 
From this event, they acquired two interns, Paul Beleza, who's now the senior manager, and Jeff Ju, who's now an executive producer. Ju would spend 40 hours a week at the studio while still in school. And now League of Legends, which we now know was originally called Onslaught, started entirely from scratch, being worked on by two producers, a VFX artist, an engineer, a concept artist, and two interns. Over a few months, the studio would go through a few interns, but would eventually hire Steve Feek, one of the designers of Dota All-Stars. This would be the first time Feek worked with a team, since all of his Dota work was done on his own. Eventually, Wright would also bring in another Dota developer, Steve Meskin. Initially, the game was almost unplayable due to frequent engine crashes. Mark Merrill stated, We had a metal music track. The minions were like little undead things at the time. We went through a lot of iteration, and it was just bad. The employees at Riot didn't even want to play it, but were forced to. The artists, waiting for the developers to catch up in their work, would spend their time playing other games, and when the team lead found out, playing League was made mandatory. The studio would start to work on a demo to present at the 2007 Game Developers Conference, or the GDC, which took about four months. At the event, Merrill and Beck met with some potential publishers, but the deals never happened. Publishers were put off that the pair didn't want to sell the game outright, and instead wanted to make money with in-game transactions, which hadn't caught on in the industry quite yet. Unfortunately, this meant Riot didn't know where they would get the funding for their game. They even considered changing the business model to the more industry-standard outright purchase most players would be familiar with. After some debate, they decided otherwise, feeling it was unlikely their game would be as successful in this model. Continuing the search for capital, they explored the idea of selling power-ups to players. It was possible this would give them the investment they felt they needed, but ultimately felt it wasn't the right thing to do. And eventually, they turned to searching for venture capital funding raising $1.5 million from investors and family. Marilyn Beck thought the game would only cost $3 million to develop, but it ended up costing roughly $15 million. Further complicating development, there was a divide within the studio. Part of the team wanted to create a Dota clone, while others wanted to innovate and expand upon the Dota gameplay. This would lead to four key members of the team leaving, and it meant new workloads for the remaining team and a lot of work on the back end of the game. At this stage, the game was officially called League of Legends Clash of Fates, and during development of League, Merrill and Beck were able to acquire another $7 million from investors. So Deathly's starting to get that money rolling, and it starts to pay off. Riot would continue to grow, and the studio of 40 would officially announce League of Legends to the world on October 7th, 2008, and held a closed beta six months later in April 2009. After this announcement, Riot was able to land a deal with Chinese publisher Tencent to handle the game in that territory. Before the game could launch, Riot determined that they would need to double the amount of champions created for the base game, of which there were to be 20, but even those had yet to be completed. In addition, this meant adding purchasable skins for the new half of champions. Fortunately, Jeff Ju was able to take on a leadership role at Riot and brought in a team of interns to help create those new characters. Those interns ended up making up half that design team. So, you know, going from one of the two interns to, like, being the lead intern. After some time, Riot started having several issues with the game and the studio. They were starting to run out of money, and if they couldn't release the game on time, they may be forced to shut down the studio. They were also feeling pressure from the competition. 
a good amount of the core team that came up with the original Dota were now working on Heroes of New Earth, or HON, a MOBA more faithful to the original Dota gameplay. They were also backed by S2 Games. Both studios were rushing to release their product first, but Riot was going against a studio that had shipped several games already. Feedback suggested that HON was the more desirable game, with the biggest draw for League being its free-to-play structure, in contrast to HON, which was a one-time purchase. And when players found out about this, HON lost half of their fan base in the beta, and many moved to League. The game was finally released October 27, 2009, a little over a year from its first announcement. Before the launch, Riot cut the name of the game to just League of Legends. A week before the game launched, the influx of players coming into the game would cause the online store to crash numerous times. Only about one player of every 5,000 was able to purchase a champion. Riot scrambled to fix it, but in the end, just decided to make everything in the game free while they made sure to get everything permanently corrected. It took six weeks to fix the store, with an estimated 600 man-hours poured into the fix by Riot's staff, which consisted of around 60 employees. Initially, Riot thought the game's audience would be small and niche. To make money back on the release, a goal of 20,000 player engagements needed to be reached. A lofty but necessary goal. Despite that goal's height, it only took two months for the player count to reach 200,000. Three months after launch, the game was downloaded over a million times. Investors were already asking Riot what the next game from the studio would be. Despite this win, the struggles at Riot wouldn't stop once the game was released. Riot's European partner, GOA, wasn't putting in as much time and support into the game as Riot was in the U.S., this led to many players in Europe becoming frustrated with the game due to hitting roadblocks, like struggling just to log into the game itself. Eventually, Riot would take back control of the European operations of the game, but had little over 50 days to create their own data centers for it. Luckily, they were able to pull it off, and their European fan base continued to grow. In fact, the European audience for the game would become bigger than the US player base. In 2009, the game was so big, they needed more employees to keep up with the demand. With another round of investment, Merlin Beck put all their money back into the studio to hire new employees, to debug the game, and create more content for fans. With this, Riot released Summoner's Rift. It wouldn't take long for Riot to start expanding. In July 2010, the company announced that they would establish their new European headquarters in Dublin, Ireland. This was due to Ireland being a hub for video game development studios and a, let's just say, incredible talent pool. Riot would also partner with Garena to bring League to Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, and the Philippines. In August 2010, Valve attempted to trademark Dota, a game worked on by hundreds of fans and played by millions. Steve Feek and Steve Mescon would file a countersuit, attempting to trademark Defense of the Ancients in order to protect the work that the community put into the mod over the years. Eventually, Blizzard would get the trademark to Defense of the Ancients, and Valve would get the trademark for Dota and Dota 2. This would show how popular the MOBA game type was starting to become. By 2011, the game had almost 15 million unique accounts created, with 10 new games starting every second. About 10% of those accounts played the game every day. To keep up with the demand for more content, Riot dialed down on creating new content for fans, content that they would enjoy. 
Feeling the pressure more and more, Marilyn Beck would sell a majority of the company to their Chinese investors, Tencent. Since League was so successful at this point, Tencent granted Riot almost complete freedom when it came to developing and improving the game. Nothing changed the studio. In the same year, after getting turned down by nearly every publisher there, Riot would self-publish League in Korea. Within six days, it broke into the top 10 games. In four months, League would reach the number one spot, and League Esports in Korea were even broadcasted over cable television. So being some of the first to kind of break into that TV realm before it hits the U.S. or anywhere else in the world. Riot also realized around this time that fans not only love playing the game, but watching the game. And seeing what they're doing in Korea, League decides, let's jump over to esports. In 2012, League would become the most played PC game in the world, logging 1.3 billion hours, beating World of Warcraft, Minecraft, and Diablo 3. In the same year, problems would arise as the League community took on some rather toxic behaviors. Riot would hire a group of scientists just to examine this problem and try to figure exactly why so many players were being toxic, all while the problem seemed to be getting worse and worse. In fact, it was the number one reason players stopped playing League. Riot felt that even though they couldn't control it, they would need to address it and try to fix it. This would lead to the company rewarding players for good behavior rather than punishing players for bad behavior. Riot created the honor system, a way for players to show sportsmanship and positivity to other players after a match. Initially, the honor system was a success, but then players were using the honor system less and less. Eventually, over 40% of the players felt that the system didn't matter and that using the honor system was confusing. Eventually, this would lead to Riot creating a new, more clear honor system. Riot would recruit Jeffrey Lin, PhD in neuroscience, to approach this issue scientifically. Lin would state that toxic behavior never usually came from toxic people, but instead people who faced outside stressors before ever entering a game. From this, Lin felt that Riot should lead players into a more sportsmanship-like behavior. A lot of players didn't even realize how much other players didn't appreciate the things that they were saying. One player wrote in stating he didn't realize how offensive the F-word was for a lot of players and apologized for it. Players were eventually looking for guidance on how to be better players socially. And this was a sign of most players simply not having enough self-awareness. Lynn and his team would also work within esports to make sure that the trash talking didn't cross the line and that overall both sides felt it was to further improve their performance. If a line was crossed, pro players were punished for it, and this would show regular players that that kind of behavior just can't be accepted and would hopefully make League overall less toxic. It would also show that all players, regardless of their skill level, should be treated equally and fairly and with respect. Absolutely. And with this, Riot started taking a lot of this into account and would create the tribunal. If a player was reported, their information was sent to the tribunal and other players were able to vote on whether or not the player should be banned. If they were banned, a screenshot would be sent to the player once they tried to log in. Evidence showed that 70% of players who were in the tribunal regardless of whether they were banned or not, never appeared there again. To this day, Riot continues to research the best way to lead players into making the game more friendly and welcoming. Riot would continue to innovate how they would tackle League within the Thunderdome. This was a way for employees at the studio to present something they'd like to work on within the game. 
employees would break off into teams and would have three days to work on a presentation. Merrill describes it as a science fair, you know, where you're bringing your friends together, you're setting your volcano up, and you're seeing if uh, it'll actually work. I never had a cool science project, so I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, neither did I, but at the end of the day, everyone comes into this giant room, sees what the teams came up with, and how it would impact the game. Employees then vote for the best idea. Innovations like this would continue to push Riot further and further. In 2013, the company would move spaces now into a massive headquarters in LA designed specifically for Riot. By this time, they had just landed number four on the list of the top 25 tech companies to work for. So Riot's starting to climb, not even in the video game industry, but just in the tech industry in general. Riot wanted to ensure that every new person they hired would fit in with the culture of the studio in the United States. In 2014, the studio would implement Q Dodge. Within 90 days of working at Riot, anyone could leave the company, and Riot would pay them 10% of their salary if they felt it wasn't a good fit. Riot got the inspiration for this from Zappas when they created a similar program in 2009. In the same year, 67 million players were participating in league games each month. Riot saw an opportunity to immerse their growing player base in the game by not expanding on the lore, but actually just rebooting it altogether. They felt that the lore they had been building since 2009 was actually hindering the overall game, and all of the old lore would be considered a part of the lore's history. One of the developers is quoted as saying, We've decided to push League's story beyond its original focus on explaining in-game action and forge a new narrative path for Runeterra, a world in which the factions and champions we all know and love have full freedom to grow, travel, and kick ass on a worldwide scale. From champion interactions to bios to events and beyond, we aim to expand the scope of League's story and pursue a more dynamic and wide-ranging world fit for the outsized capabilities and personalities of our champions. And it makes sense. The old lore, which we will talk about in a bit, um, was very just one-dimensional in a way. It's There were summoners. They fought based on if they were hired or they were knights or they were assassins or whatever. And then when the lore expanded out, especially as characters got reworks, they all had their own backstories and fit into many different areas of Runeterra. By 2015, Riot would be ranked 13 out of the 100 best places to work for by Forbes. In the same year, Tencent would go from owning a majority stake of Riot Games to becoming the absolute owners of the company. Tencent would recommend that League come to mobile, but Riot turned this down. Tencent would go on to release Honor of Kings, which would become the highest grossing MOBA game. In the same year, Amazon would start selling Riot points for $10, $25, $50, and $100 denominations. Additionally, Microsoft would team up with Riot's parent company, Tencent, to have League as one of the debut games in the Windows 10 store, along with a few other Tencent IPs such as Crossfire and Dungeon & Fighter. In 2017, founders Brandon Beck and Mark Merrill announced that they were working on designing a game once more. The pair would turn the responsibilities of the overall operations of the company to Dylan Jadia, who is the CFO, Scott Gelb, the CTO, and Nicolo Laurent, who became the president. They finally wanted to put the S in Riot Games, even though this was something that they had been saying for years at this point. The next year, Mark Merrill would tweet, Should we build an MMO? In August 2018, Kotaku would post an article about 
problems at Riot regarding sexism. This article contains stories from 28 current and former female employees. The claims of sexism at Riot turned the studio on its head, leading to lawsuits, a walkout, internal investigations, a state fair employment investigation, and the hiring of Angela Roseborough as the new chief diversity officer. Claims of inappropriate behavior could be traced back as early as 2013. Male employees would often make sexist comments about women, homophobic comments, jokes about rape, and comments about sleeping with someone's significant other. Anytime that these issues were brought up, they were simply ignored or thought of as insecure or someone just not being a team player. When Riot was initially outed for this, a representative from the company would tell Kotaku that they take this kind of behavior very seriously and that they needed employees to speak up about it so Riot management could handle it. But several current and former employees would state that management simply ignored any issues when it came to gender. While at Riot, women were shown unsolicited photos of male genitalia, discussions of who is the hottest woman at Riot, and one woman even found an email chain discussing what it would be like having sex with her. Women were also talked over during meetings, and their ideas were never used, never even seen the light of day. Women were also hired far less than men at the company, even though a majority turned away were completely qualified for the job that they applied for. Most women felt attacked during interviews, and it seemed like they were almost being called out on whether or not they were a, quote, real gamer. Some women who were hired rarely felt like anyone took them serious there. Women would be trained for a promotion, only to have a male coworker get the job instead. Now, after Wright was exposed for all these claims of racism, homophobia, and sexism, the company never denied these claims. Instead, publicly stated that they are working towards improving the company's culture and would even sponsor a Women in Games France esports incubator. Wright also hired Francis Frey, to help with the PR. Nine months before Kotaku released the article, Riot actually was trying to make the company more diverse, as some female employees have noted. So, I mean, the thing is, they were trying, I guess you want to say, to do some of this stuff, but we're seeing that even now with Blizzard. I mean, that's, that's the most recent one in our, in our today's standards of a huge walkout of, this is just the culture of weird gaming companies that become too big like this. and. It's unfortunate, and the culture is shifting and has needed to shift for years, um, but it's good that people are actually able to come forward, and it's unfortunate that it has to be like a news outlet that has to like bring it to light for anything to happen, but it's good that it did. In November 2018, five current and former female employees would file a class action lawsuit against the company for denying them equal pay and blocking their career advancement based on their gender. The two women would also state that they faced criticism, retaliation, and harassment based on their gender. If women didn't participate and tolerate crude male humor, which includes jokes about sex, defecation, masturbation, rape, and torture, they were deemed unfit to work at the company. Riot forced two of these employees into settling the lawsuit outside of the court since they signed arbitration contracts when they were hired at Riot. On May 7, 2019, over 150 employees walked out of Riot for two hours to protest this. These employees threatened to pursue this further if the arbitration wasn't changed by May 16th. Riot would update their arbitration contract shortly afterwards, stating that new hires can opt out of signing the arbitration for sexual harassment and sexual assault claims. On August 22, 2019, Riot would settle the lawsuit against them from current and former employees. Since then, the company has publicly stated that they are working towards moving the company forward, 
and learning from this. However, the company is still under investigation from the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Riot was actually withholding basic employment data that they were required by law to maintain, thus making the investigation harder. Riot CEO Niccolo Laurent would say, With this agreement, we are honoring our commitment to find the best and most expeditious way for all rioters and riot to move forward and heal. Over the past year, we've made substantial progress toward evolving our culture and will continue to pursue this work as we strive to be the most inclusive company in gaming. Again, this is what we're seeing today. You know, we're coming from a fantastic company um, that's able to produce a lot of content, you know, being able to produce Legends of Runeterra, League of Legends, Valorant, you know, and, and so many of those spinoffs like Teamfight Tactics, that there needs to be an address to this. And and as Riot has moved forward and as we're seeing Blizzard try and do that same thing, it's something that, you know, we wanted to put in here to kind of let you guys know, like, it's not all just two guys started in their garage and it's been perfect. Like, there are things that can go wrong with companies, however much you enjoy their products. And so just wanted to add this in there as a kind of production standpoint of what really happens in a company. You know, it's, it's not just like a one-way street into getting onto an Xbox or getting onto Microsoft or the PC or whatever. There's a lot that goes into a company and there's a lot that goes into making like great content. And it can happen in companies that even have a, a massive focus on behavior in general. You know, they put all this effort into figuring out their player base and why they were acting so toxic. And, you know, if they had been putting that same level of emphasis on their own internal behaviors, I think that maybe you would have seen some of that trickle down into the player base. And that's exactly it. I mean, look at two of the most toxic communities that's really out there. You're looking at Riot and Blizzard for a lot of things. And it kind of stems down from what they're doing with the company. Weirdly enough, it's just kind of what it is. And, and if you can kind of train players to be more positive in a lot of these things, you increase that player base, you retain that player base, and people have fun. Now, let's bring the mood up a little bit, and we'll talk about and break down the gameplay. Um, as I had said, it's simplistic, should I say, in its nature. You know, on paper, the game makes sense. But there's so many nuances that go into it, so we're going to break down the different modes and just the basics of a good old League of Legends match. So, as we had said, League is a multiplayer online battle arena, or MOBA, in which you control a character known as a champion with a set of unique abilities from an isometric perspective or kind of this top-down look. As of September 23rd, 2021, there are currently 157 released champions, with the latest being Vex, the Gloomist. Over the course of a match, champions gain levels by accruing experience points through killing enemies. Items also increase champions' strength and are bought with gold, which players accrue passively over time and earn actively by defeating the opposing team's minions, champions, or defensive structures. In the main game mode, Summoner's Rift, items are purchased through a shop menu available to players only when their champion is in the team's base. Each match is on its own. You know, the levels and items don't transfer over to a different map or to a different game it's all each game set on its own so almost like a roguelike game where everything kind of resets you got to rebuild it up so you always start back at level one up to level 18 and as you go through you have four abilities uh three that you can use kind of at a point and then an ultimate that builds up over time and you'll level those abilities up as you level up and you can choose to do so with that 
So what that kind of does for you, right, is keeps it to where players that just play that game nonstop don't have any kind of competitive advantage going into each individual match necessarily, right? Exactly. And they've even changed that over time as well. When I played originally way back when, you would buy these runes that you would put in that like you could have these different subsets of scrolls. I'm totally wrong on all these naming conventions. I don't remember a lot of what I had to do way back when, but you would put these runes in and it could be like, uh, you know, 5% more attack speed on this character. This is that. And you can customize them to your character. So if you're playing, um, you know, attack damage carrying ABC, you would put like, okay, you know, attack speed up, do more damage with this, have a little bit more resistance. And you had to reach certain levels to get those certain stones. You had to buy them. They've now had a whole new system put in place that even equalizes that playing field for newer players who don't want to grind all the way to level 30 to feel like they've completed everything. Now let's jump in and let's talk about Summoner's Rift. Summoner's Rift is the flagship game mode of League of Legends and the most prominent in professional level play. The mode has a ranked competitive ladder, a matchmaking system determines a player's skill level, and generates a starting rank from which they can climb. There are nine tiers. The least skilled are Iron, where Derek and Alex are, uh. Bronze and Silver, and the highest are Master, Grandmaster, and Challenger. And we see this in a lot of different games as well. I, I think that it's a good way to at least get players playing with other leveled players, mm-hmm. whether or not, you know, they in this mode in this game, they're trying to basically just keep it match to match as equal as possible just adding another layer to it like this i like that they did that yep two teams of five players compete to destroy the opposing team's nexus which is guarded by the enemy champions and defensive structures known as turrets each team's nexus is located in their base where players start the game or reappear after death non-player characters known as minions are generated from each team's nexus and advance towards the enemy base along three lanes guarded by turrets, top, middle, and bottom. Each team's base contains three inhibitors, one behind the third tower from the center of each lane. Destroying one of the enemy team's inhibitors causes stronger allied minions to spawn in that lane and allows the attacking team to damage the enemy nexus and the two turrets guarding it. The regions in between the lanes are collectively known as the jungle, which is inhabited by monsters that, like minions, respawn at regular intervals. Like minions, monsters provide gold and experience when killed. Another more powerful class of monster resides within the river that separates each team's jungle. These monsters require multiple players to defeat and grant special abilities to the Slayer's team. For example, teams can gain a powerful allied unit after killing the Rift Herald, permanent strength boost by killing dragons, and stronger, more durable minions by killing Baron Nasher. Summoner's Rift matches can last from as little as 15 minutes to over an hour. Although the game does not enforce where players may go, conventions have arisen over the game's lifetime. Typically, one player goes in the top lane, one in the middle lane, one in the jungle, and two in the bottom lane. Players in a lane kill minions to accumulate gold and XP, termed farming, and try to prevent their opponent from doing the same. A fifth champion known as a jungler farms the jungle monsters and, when powerful enough, assists their teammates in a lane. So if you want to tell your friends all about League of Legends and give them a descriptor, give them this driest description that we've ever written (laughs) about League of Legends. 
That's right. This is quintessential. This is a hashtag detailed walkthrough. This is a hashtag far too detailed walkthrough for you guys. <laughs> As most of you listening know about League, obviously it's evolved over time, but you've got your lanes, you've got your players going to each lanes, whether you have spellcasters, you've got some melees, you've got some tanks, you can have some off tanks. I mean, there's, there's so many different varieties with the champions that have evolved and just the skill gaps that have evolved with it. That's made the game interesting. Right, because even within that, there's like a meta of certain champions that you would use in the particular roles. And as the new ones get introduced, there's always new balancing and things like that that have to take place as well. So, And that's what's wild, is as, as much as we all complain about balancing or overpowered or needing nerfs or buffs to champions, it's amazing that a company, like any company out there, can manage this, especially with 157 different champions, that they all somewhat feel balanced. Of course, you're always going to have the overpowered ones. Of course, you're always going to have the incredibly underutilized ones until Riot changes it. And that's just the reality of all these gameplays. But it's, it's so amazing, especially watching Worlds right now, everything that they do, and even the variety that's still picked. It's not the same five champions for each team. It's like this player has played on this character for 10 years. Like they know this character, like the back of their hand, that's who they're picking. Which is, I think, one of the most challenging parts about balancing a game is how do you introduce new characters that have similar powers because you don't want to create this whole new, like powerful entity within the game and totally like ruin your game. You want to, at the same time, introduce new, fresh perspectives, but not kind of betray people who have played your game for a long time, grew up with the game, and learned how to play those characters mm -hmm. in their play style. You don't want to just go out there and introduce a brand new character that makes that character obsolete, because then you're probably going to lose some players for sure. So a very difficult task and one that they're very good at. Absolutely. And, and another thing that they're really good at with that segue is I am fantastic with them. Mm. Some other game modes. So we have the one that I spent probably the most time on because I just like to do team fights and kills and stuff with that. And we're talking about Aram, 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 or all random, all mid, which is a five versus five mode like Summoner's Rift, but with only one long lane, no jungle, and with champions randomly chosen for players. Given the small size of the map, players must be vigilant in avoiding enemy abilities. So this is like just one strip, some little offshoots, but it's just minion waves coming in. And it's you guys always fighting against each other to see like who's going to dive first, try the abilities out. And I always love that in games because sometimes, most of the times, I feel self-conscious about trying a new character and either getting ragged on or not understanding it. And with Aram, it kind of forced you to do it. And it forced you to look up that guide real quick on your computer being like, uh, give me the quick guide on how do I do this? Yeah. Um, and it kind of worked for everybody because a lot of people played champions they may not have been comfortable with. And it was fun to try it out. We also had team fight tactics, which is not necessarily a, a mode, I would say, but it is part of the league launcher. And team fight tactics is an auto battler released in June of 2019 and made a permanent game mode the following month. As with others in its genre, players build a team and battle to be the last one standing. Players do not directly affect combat, but position their units on a board for them to fight automatically against opponents each round. Teamfight Tactics is available for iOS and Android and has cross-platform play with Windows and Mac. So again, borrowing from Dota, which had Dota Auto Chess, 
we had team fight tactics come out. So it's it's you purchase units very similar to what they have in League. You know, some will be a ranger, some will be like a melee character, some are brawlers, and each of those can like add up to certain bonus perks. Very similar to like a chessboard, and it plays its way out. Fantastic. Other game modes have been made available temporarily, typically aligning with in-game events. Ultra Rapid Fire, or ERF, mode was available for two weeks as a 2014 April Fool's prank. In the mode, champion abilities have no resource cost, significantly reduced cooldown timers, increased movement speed, reduced healing, and faster attacks. A year later, in April 2015, Riot disclosed that they had not brought the mode back because its unbalanced design resulted in player burnout. The developer also said the costs associated with maintaining and balancing Earth were too high. Other temporary modes include One for All and Nexus Blitz. One for All has players pick a champion for all members of the team, and in Nexus Blitz, players participate in a series of minigames on a compressed map. I don't know about you, but I've never had a two-week-long April Fool's Day prank. Never been willing to go that hard, but hey, maybe I'll cook something up this year. You gotta be right on it. You gotta, you gotta be right in this. So let's talk a little bit just about the old lore, the initial lore, just to give you guys a little bit of a background on that. As the League of Legends was established to prevent further rune wars on Valoran, the neutral line summoners called forth exceptional individuals referred to as champions to battle on the fields of justice in order to settle disputes. These champions have joined the League for various reasons. Some are soldiers who have pledged their allegiance to a particular nation and fight in their nation's interests. Some are renowned warriors who seek to prove themselves against Valoran's most powerful beings. Some are prisoners of the League forced to do the League's bidding as punishment. Some may even be strange creatures from other worlds hoping to bring stability or further discord to Runeterra. For whatever the champion's reason, they have gained the interest of the League of Legends. In order to join the League, a potential champion who has proven to possess extraordinary qualities must travel to the Institute of War to undergo a judgment. There, a designated summoner will probe their mind in order to determine the individual's motives. In truth, the intentions of the potential champion have little bearing on whether they are accepted into the League or not. The primary purpose of the judgment is to determine whether the individual is capable of exposing their mind to the summoner, which would allow the two to share their mental thoughts and act as one. Should the potential champion pass their judgment as well as agreeing to the call of the summon, they will become an official league champion. So yeah, it, it was pretty much like, Derek, you and I, we were the summoners. And these were these champions that we then like would kind of possess, kind of like influence to do things that we wanted them to do. And that was like the original idea. Very much almost like toys that you'd like combat. And then whenever they went, oh, never mind, let's make some real lore, they went, let's get rid of all that. Right, and so when Riot retconned the lore in 2014, they changed the rules of the summoners. They're no longer the ones that would be the champions. Instead, they created structures and summoned the minions, and the Institute of War was just completely erased. And, and right, so the, the summoners are the ones that are, they're not gods, but they're the ones that kind of rule over everything. And the champions are now of their own free will. And all of their backstories are simply amazing of like why they're here. And it intertwines so many of them together, whether they were part of the same gang or they were part of like just the same tribe of people or just because, you know, there's so many of those things in there that allows for so much freedom for them to build this lore out. 
and it's really expanded. And this is a game that doesn't necessarily need a, a really super deep lore, right? You kind of log into this game and play, and maybe it's kind of interesting to read when the new champions come out, but it's not game-defining. Exactly, exactly. You could play the game by itself and need none of this lore. It just shows how much they want people to be interested and how much they're interested in their own characters they've created to keep building this, to show who's otherworldly, who's a pirate, you know, who's doing these things, and why is, why is everyone coming together? And that's why whenever they rebuilt Runeterra, there are several different regions that people are from or different planes of existence. So almost, almost more of a D&D style to it and less of like a toy soldiers thing. Ooh, I like that. Oh, toy soldiers, that's what we need to get back in on. Let's do that. <laughs> Jump back into there, baby. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. League of Legends is unique in comparison to other online multiplayer games. The biggest form of marketing is something that they actually lose money on, which is esports. With esports comes a feeling of camaraderie, competitiveness, sportsmanship, and loyalty. While Riot's tournaments and championships are about making money, they're really about marketing League. Very similar to having avid fans for coming together to watch a Super Bowl game. These fans of these esports leagues flock. I mean, even talking about when we're recording this, talking about worlds right now on Twitch, just when I jumped on randomly, 430,000 people just there watching these tournament splits. And it's just amazing to see where something that was basically on some fold out tables is now breaking its way into stadiums. And is garnering these huge supports and garnering these amazing crowds, not only just online, but actually coming out to these tournaments. Again, very similar to all the sports that we see across the world. And I think it's especially significant because when you think about the Super Bowl, you're watching guys kind of do things that, I mean, NFL athletes obviously are doing things that normal people just cannot do. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing the same thing happen within these tournaments. But at the same time, like for a Super Bowl game, I really like I'd have to try really hard, I think, to go out there and grab a group of people and get a football game going. Right. Like that's just not something that I can go and do. There are people who are so enthralled with league and what these professional gamers are able to do that they're willing to just watch these people play and and learn from them and then take that knowledge back and go and play the game. I mean, it really Mm -hmm. does, I think lend itself to the community in a way that professional athletic sports cannot. No, and and the other thing, like marketing-wise, like 
that makes it so accessible, very similar to like you and I be able to go, you know, pass a football around or kick a soccer ball around is a low dollar amount investment. And with Riot, it's free. And so co-founder Mark Merrill elaborates on this freeness of the game by saying, quote, people told us when we started that if you don't charge up front or if you're not selling extra powers or stats, it won't work. But that fails to account for the coolness factor. If you're really into cars, you don't mind spending $50,000 to soup up your Honda. That's the player we're tapping into. And it worked. You know, everyone wants to get like the coolest skin, the Easter skin, the random Halloween skin, or like the skins from the champions who won worlds. Like you want something like that. And that's where that money comes from. And League is all about creating an epic, never-ending story with continual releases of the creative characters we know as champions. Well, you can purchase these new champions with points accumulated in-game. They can also be purchased with real-world currency. Riot eventually started introducing these characters with impressive trailers, along with the traditional blog post to amp up player engagement and demonstrate the character's abilities. Up until the release of such announcements, Riot is known for dropping subtle hints to keep players excited and looking forward to the next release. While these trailers are technically advertisements, Riot's marketing group composes them in a fun and exciting way and also helps that they bring in Blur, which is one of the best studios to do any gaming trailer or any storytelling at all, and Riot has done so many of these. I thought that you were talking about the band, and I was... <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry. They did not bring Blur to do Song 2. I just thought Song 2 was now what they played for every character introduction. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> hey, might as well. So, a little more marketing. Let's talk about PAX 09. This would be the first time that Riot would demo the game to the world, where players were able to play the game, and fans were waiting up to three hours to play this game for the first time. So, from the very beginning, a lot of hype. There was also Legends Rising, which was a short series created by Riot to highlight the world's best league players and build the hype for league esports. The first season contained seven episodes. In September of 2018, MasterCard broadcasted its official partnership with League, and they were actually League's first global sponsor. As a sponsor of the esports, MasterCard offered promotions to their card users and co-branded products. One of the more recent MasterCard collaborations was a sweepstakes from February 10th to March 9th, which offered anyone who used a MasterCard for in-game league purchases a chance to win a trip to the 2020 LCS Spring Finals. At the Consumer Electronics Show in 2019, Riot and Alienware would announce to the world their partnership, a deal around a year in the making. Alienware would become the official PC hardware for competitive league, and they would also become hardware for the League of Legends Championship Series and the League of Legends European Championship Leagues for the spring and summer seasons. We also had the Rift Herald. This website is a collaboration between SB Nation and Polygon. The Rift Herald is a news site giving readers any and all news about League of Legends. On the website, topics such as culture, gameplay, and esports are covered in detail. Broadcasted in November 2018, Marvel and Riot decided to collaborate and create a comic book series based on League. This comic book series kicked off in May of 2019 and offered digital formats starting the following December. So far, three League comic book series have developed since including League of Legends Ash, War Mother Special Edition, League of Legends Lux, 
and League of Legends Zed. We also had mechs versus minions. Riot would take League of Legends off of the PC and into the world of tabletop games. Taking place in the world of League of Legends, you play as Yordles, using your mechs to fight off minions. And of course, can't go without saying, as I had mentioned a little bit before, the League of Legends YouTube, which has a bit of everything from gaming insights, player details, amazing things talking about different champions or different movies with the champions and characters and worlds, especially with Legends of Runeterra coming out. There's so much content on there to check out. Definitely worth a look. And finally, had some additional marketing, like we've seen a lot of games now. Right, would partner with brands for specific events, such as Red Bull, Snaps, and Rocket Mortgage. Because what are you thinking about when you're taking down your Summoner's Rift? My mortgage. Hey, man. I got to get a house to play League in, right? That's true. Got to gotta get me one of them uh, League houses. <laughs> yeah, this is where I live and sleep. This is where I play League. It's Thank you, Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> Sponsored. Now, typically we've worked these you know, sections into the podcast, make them flow. But I want to go through kind of step by step a lot of the cut characters. Now, a lot of them were designs that we've seen very similar to like how Pokemon has had many, many designs that have gone over different eras. Uh, League has done this and actually incorporated some of these champions into new ones, into skins, into different ideas. Buckle in. Aoshin eventually became Aurelian Soul. Avasha speculated to either become Katarina or Riven. Avedrian, the Astral Guardian. Cece, the Hextech Engineer, eventually becomes Brahm. Cyborg Cowboy, concept that became High Noon Jin. Eagle Rider is either Quinn or Valor. Elemental Hydra, scrapped because Riot eh, couldn't find a theme for it. Gavid, the Plant King. He eventually became Mordecai. Husk, the Hive Commander, reworked as both Camilla and Kaisa. Ink Mage, not, it's found in the code, but no concept for it. Iron Engineer, was going to be this giant mech robot, still not used yet. Ivan, the Mad Bomber, used for Nautilus and Ziggs. Omen, Paper Mage, uses words and kind of has them to effects, not really used yet. Priscilla, the Spider Queen, becomes Elise. Rob Blackblade, the Dashing Rogue, cut due to art not in the game's effects. Ruby became Vi. Seth, the Sand Mage, eventually becomes Azir. Taboo, the Voodoo Shaman. Tempest created a space that slowed down projectiles. Tiki, which is this little tiki guy that's kind of yordly. Twin yordles, one had a bomb and one had a rocket launcher, so they're kind of going off of some World of Warcraft-esque-ness to it. Earth the manatee was actually an April Fool's joke. Well Soritios, the hydrosoul, which eventually became a zeer, and yordle in a tank. It's a yordle in a tank. They don't know what they're going to do with it, but that's the option. Could be like a Heimerdinger type thing, plenty of other stuff with it. The only other thing that's been cut that was actually a, a thing for a while was Dominion. Dominion is Riot's version of Capture and Hold. Dominion games would last about half the time of regular league match due to the fast-paced nature of the game type. This game type was something that Riot had been thinking about for a long time, and when they finally decided to create the game mode, it took around nine months to develop. Dominion was removed from League February 22nd, 2016. So again, I'll probably put a list of like all these different characters and just the info about them probably in the descriptor for this episode, just so you can guys can kind of see some of the stuff we worked on and some of the characters that could have been, are, or should not have been. So we've touched on this a few times now, 
Um, but I want to expand a little bit on the esports for League just because of the influence that League has had in the esport world. So basically, from the time of the game's launch, fans were organizing tournaments of their own for the game. And with a growing demand for competition, Riot would start their journey into esports. Riot launched season one of League in July of 2010. And with this, the game was now tracking stats and had rankings. Riot would start to throw tournaments for season one. Their season one finale was held in Sweden at the DreamHack Celebration in June of 2011, less than two years after they launched the game. Branded Beck states, quote, I remember we had something like 20 folding chairs and, without knowing if anyone would watch, decided to stream the games. There were no commentators or sponsors and some players were sitting on the ground. Overall, the first season would have a $100,000 prize. The first tournament alone brought in over 1.6 million viewers, despite the low-budget venue and projector screen setup. Riot saw the potential in esports players being able to grow if they could dedicate their time to just League. Thus, they started the LCS, or the League of Legends Championship Series. This way, pros could be pros full-time. This would lead to League players making six-figure incomes and some pushing seven figures by the end of 2013. Since the first tournament was so successful, Riot wanted to continue to run the esports tournaments on their own and didn't think that there should be anything to worry about as far as the second season's tournament. But... Had some had some hangups, we'll say. Three days into the second season finale, stuff started to uh, go wrong. Over 50 minutes into a match between Chinese team WE and CounterLogic Gaming Europe, the internet connection stopped working. This happened multiple times, forcing the teams to have to restart their match again and again for over seven hours. Eventually, Riot would stop the game and ask them to start over the next day. Fans leaving the event were actually booing. However, once the audience found out they were getting $25 in Riot points, they, they all cheered. You know, what's, what's waiting for seven hours for 25 buckaroonies in the old Riot say, store? You guys are cheap. You get bought for nothing. Yeah. Now, now, granted, Riot would also hand out like some free merch, some shirts, and some other stuff to go oh, along okay. with it. But I take it back. Yeah. But the fans would go on to cheer Riot, Riot by the end of the night. Riot would have to build a networking system wherever the tournaments are being held. The finals would finish a few days later at the LA Gallon Centers with fully dedicated on-site servers. So they learned in the second turn, hey, it's the second one, so at least they know, that they had to have basically a full dedicated server just to run those 10 computers. I And it's kind of ironic that they were chanting Riot because it could have gone either way, I think, at that point. That, are they for us or are they against us? I don't know. That's true. Are the, pitch for, are the pitchforks raised or are they pointed at us? What are we thinking right now? Is it like a Riot Riot or like a Yes Us Riot? Like We don't, we don't know what's going on here. Disaster could have struck. It, it, it could have struck at any point. And so for season two, it had a $5 million prize pool. First place winners took home a cool milli. For season three, the studio would build its own TV studio to film and broadcast all the games with the help of reality check systems. They would push for tournaments to cater towards live audiences. Riot would also post broadcast schedules at the beginning of the season to help the salaried pros arrange travel. 
They would also start to make esports more akin to regular sports with more commentators, post-game analysis, breakdowns, pre-game coverage, etc. The Season 3 championships would take place at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, further showing the growth of league esports. I mean, that's amazing from going, again, it's this glow-up of some folding chairs, a projector, to like the third tournament being at the Staples Center. I mean, what a huge leap. Absolutely, man. And I think that recognizing that they could do even more to make it legitimate, not just getting the big venue for the obvious growing fan base, but getting those announcers, having the same sort of broadcast that you would in Mm -hmm. other sports, I, I mean, it just adds legitimacy to the whole thing. In 2013, Riot almost went through with the decision to ban pro league players from streaming anything other than league. And obviously, there was some pushback from the fans. So eventually, Riot decided to back off. And it still left a bad taste in some fans' mouths and showed, I think, even before all this other stuff going down, like, hey, sometimes there's some bad judgments. Yes, and and I get that this was kind of the start of trying to control your athletes, your esports athletes of like, listen... If you stream like off season or whatever, when you're, when you're doing stuff, it can only be league. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like they can do what they want in the off season. Like you can't control what they do with this. Like the streaming has nothing to do with like, that's their own brand. Right. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like when players, professional sports athletes, just they have clauses in their contracts. It's like, you can't play basketball in the off season. You can't play any other sports. You can only do things related to training for the next football season, because if you get Mm -hmm. hurt, we're going to void your contract or whatever. But obviously that is a imperfect comparison into the e-sports world. And so an overstep for sure. By 2014 league was dominating the e-sports scene. Every year was a new season happening in multiple territories, along with having a yearly all-star game and world championship. Colleges were even starting their own collegiate league teams. Riot would eventually partner with North America Scholastic Esports Federation to bring league to colleges and high schools. In the same year, Riot had their first international championship in South Korea, a huge upgrade from their obvious humble beginnings, like we said, with the chairs. And they even had Imagine Dragons perform at the event. I do remember this. Big big time news right there, having the old ID, as, as we all know Imagine Dragons as. <laughs> In 2015, Riot wanted darker, smaller arenas for their major sports events. They felt that this would resonate more with fans at the events, along with those watching them. In the same year, esports was falling under some heavy criticism from Colin Coward, calling esports players nerds. Mark Cuban would call him an idiot in an interview, saying that he loves League and that he plays the game himself. Cuban has stated multiple times that League is a real sport, and it's not just because Cuban owns teams, it's because he truly believes in League of Legends. Um, Alex, I believe that was Mark Cubbin. Oh, 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 yes. <laughs> You're right. You're right. That was his alter ego name, uh, Mark Cubbin, uh, not known as Mark Cuban, uh, a whole different guy. Sorry, got him so confused. Yeah, that's just his friend from Cuba. Ah, of course, of course. Colin Cowherd is by far one of the worst sports commentators 
out there for sure. Yeah, he's very bad. Hates uh, Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield very infamously. Tons of highlights you can watch if you're into that whole thing. You want to see how then you know what? Yeah, he ain't even worth talking about because when Overwatch released in 2016, it would be the first game to dethrone League in South Korea since its rise in popularity in the country. We're starting to get these 6v6, very Team Fortress-esque matches of trying to push a cart, trying to do these things. And it, it became such a big thing for Blizzard. Blizzard knew they put a lot of money behind a lot of their championships, and they knew what they were doing. Now, Riot's 2017 championship tournament was a perfect example of how much esports had grown. Their players sported custom seats, helicopter headsets, face cams, and environmentally controlled booths to shield the players from Beijing's frosty November temperature. The competitive scene for League was mainly only found at tournaments, and unless a player would participate at one, the online matches didn't always have this long resonating feeling to them. So Riot sought to change this with Clash. And Clash was an in-game tournament held every other weekend, allowing a team of five to compete in a bracket-style event, fighting for their way to the top. Teams would go from four brackets to eight to 16 bracket tournaments if their skills could carry them there over the course of three days. Winning the 16 bracket tournament would lead to some prizes from Riot themselves. Clash was so important to Riot that it was in and out of public beta for a year and eventually launched on May 25th, 2018. In recent years, Riot would start to ban Major League players from tournaments. Another controversy would arise as well, Many players would criticize Riot for releasing major patches right before the tournaments, not giving players much time to adapt to it. Riot also wasn't allowing teams to share revenue from sponsors. In one case, the owner of Team Solo Mid, whose name is Andy Din, would go online to ridicule Riot and how they're handling esports. Mark Merrill would respond to these allegations, stating that Din wasn't paying his players enough, along with other bold statements. This wouldn't bode well with most online, since Merrill dodged questions and attacked Din in the process. This would lead to competitors calling for a union. Now, by 2018, Riot had not directly made a profit from esports. Instead, they viewed all the events as exposure for the game itself, as we had stated in our marketing section, but eventually the company saw esports as profitable. This is mainly due to the fact that tickets to live events have a very low price point. Regardless, Riot still invests millions into esports each year. It's hard to believe considering esports brought in 99.6 million people watching the 2018 final. By the end of 2018, League generated $1.4 billion. In 2019, the World Championship spanned over a month, taking place in three different cities and concluding at the sold-out Accor Hotels Arena in Paris. Though the 2019 championships were a success, Riot still faced some controversy. In the wake of the Hong Kong protests, Riot would ask its players and commentators to keep politics out of the broadcasts. With, quote, personal views on sensitive topics, political, religious, or otherwise. There was even speculation that the phrase Hong Kong couldn't be said, since some commentators and analysts would rephrase it to HKA or show discomfort after saying it. The day after the 2019 event was over, Riot announced they planned on making the 2020 championships hosted in Shanghai, China to be the biggest esporting event the world has ever seen, taking place in six total cities. The previous record was four. Riot also created a broadcast center in China to handle five streams at the same time. Now, granted, 
with COVID and many other things, it didn't pan out to all they wanted, but we're seeing a lot more that come back with the 2021 season. Now, League makes their main source of revenue from esports in two very specific ways. Tournament sponsors and the rights to stream the tournaments. Ticket sales alone from tournaments were considered a smaller source of revenue. Head of esports for League North American, Chris Hopper, said that one of the best live events of 2019 was the Chaffetz Arena in St. Louis, Missouri. Over 10,000 fans would attend the event. No big deal, just the city where we are, and I drove by it when it was going on, so technically I was there. I was not there at that point. I don't Technically, believe. I am more of an esports legend than you are. Uh, yep, <laughs> that is factual. <laughs> so, nice little timeline breakdown. You could see basically from the very beginning, it started out very, very small. They didn't mm-hmm. have high expectations. I mean, that was like a nine year, 10 year breakdown basically of yeah. going from this little small event to, you know, big six-day events over in Shanghai. So you could see the growth, you could see the investment, and it's paid off for them. Now let's move over to the music. The music of League of Legends is unique compared to most other titles in the industry. The music department originally started with just Christian Link creating music for the login screen, originally starting out in billing support, answering questions for German players, Co-workers eventually found out that he was at one point a popular musician in Germany. Before long, Riot had him working on the game's music. Today, the music department for League of Legends now contains several collaborating composers under Riot's ownership for all of the game's needs. The genres of music found in the game include heavy metal, rock, EDM, pop, and anything in between. One reason music has inserted itself into the game is as a selling point for champion skins. The first of which was Pentakill, a virtual heavy metal band that was formed in 2014. Riot wanted music for every playable champion, with each track reflecting the champion's backstory and characteristics. Some of these champion tracks would even go on to receive music videos, of which the entire audio department had the freedom to explore whatever creative avenues they wanted. Most of these music videos were introduced as a way to advertise and hype up fans for the League of Legends World Championships. Each year, a different World's Anthem is released to promote the championships, switching between different international artists such as Imagine Dragons and Zed. The quality and lyrical content of each anthem is different, but they all follow the same hard-hitting, bass-heavy orchestral model to create the most dramatic and exciting song possible. And on January 27, 2015, Riot released The Music of League of Legends, an album containing all of the music created for the game at that point. And, and really to break off on kind of what Derek has said with those, those departments, there's three major groups, whether real or artificial, that have come about throughout this. The first being Pentakill, which is eh, members of the game that we see in there. They got their own skins. We also had KDA. Um, which is a group of Americans and some K-pop stars have come together to make some music, make some music videos. They've doing a lot of the world's themes now, as well as True Damage, which is an League of Legends themed hip hop group created to celebrate the 2019 World Champions. And with all of these groups, they've also got these like, I guess, personas with the characters and games. They got skins for a lot of the characters and a lot of the artists got to kind of choose that. 
and choose who they felt like their character aligned with. And it's really kind of cool to see that. Like, these establishments of bands or picking up bands to do this and then also adapting them into the world, it's kind of cool. Definitely really cool and glad that they were able to pick different genres and try and all incorporate all these different things into the game. Sometimes games just get too hung up on trying to, you know, sound hardcore and so we're going to do all the heavy metal or you know sound really cool and so let's do the hip-hop or just like spammy crazy k-pop absurd awesomeness so for them to be able to blend all those things into this game and use all those different artists is really cool and shows that they're very aware of you know how wide their fan base is absolutely and allowing like you said kind of these genres to bend around and to have fun with the skins and fun with the characters and like take their own game seriously, but also take it into a whole nonsensical fun side of it by putting these these alternate reality bands into the game. For sure. And so we're coming to the end of the episode. Let's talk, of course, about how this game has been received. This one's a little bit different because it's still like a big ongoing game that you know, mm-hmm. typically we're talking about games of the past that have had new sequels and we just sort of give this fresh perspective on an older game, but this one still going strong. The game has won several awards since it's released, several from the first game developers online choice awards and has received a 78 out of 100 on Metacritic. In 2015, League would land the number 15 spot on US Gamers, the best 15 games since 2000 list. By September 2016, League was the number one stream game, with three out of the top ten channels streaming the game. Today, Riot has offices in LA, St. Louis, Sydney, Dublin, Berlin, Seoul, Istanbul, Sao Paulo, Moscow, and Taipei. And over 111 million people play League each month, with 157 champions to choose from. To this day, billions of hours are logged each month in the game, and professional esports players are making anywhere from six figures to over millions of dollars each and every year playing the game. Esports alone has grown into a cultural phenomenon that has taken the world of sports by storm. In 2018, Nike even signed their first ever esports player. The next year, League was part of the main plot for the final season of Ballers. To this day, the learning curve can be quite the obstacle when attempting to jump into the game as Derek and I, well, mostly Derek might know. And one Shots of the reasons, fired. one of the reasons though, is to be fair, is the dramatic skill gap and the dramatic skill differential between characters. So there's obviously, and they've, they've listed it, easy, medium, hard, it's like learning the character. So it's definitely there. But Riot, they've done well. We discussed this earlier that they've done well in balancing and knowing what to do with player feedback, analysis, and quickly putting those patches out when they needed to be. And League still has been one of the most popular games of the last decade, at least. Just something that we're seeing that not only launched esports into the major leagues. You know, we had basically Halo 2 bringing us to the minors. Halo 3 bringing us to like Triple A, like, like a little above Triple A a little bit. But then when we start to see League jump into the scene, like that brought it to the major leagues, brought it out into the world, and brought it to the television, brought it to ESPN, brought it to South Korean TV, brought it everywhere with brought it. Brought it to ballers. I mean, The Rock yeah. was in that. That's a big deal. Yeah, you're not wrong. And so there's no doubt 
that Riot will go down, unfortunately, with some of its past, but fortunately with its future, as we see it to keep creating games. Like I have said, like Valorant, Legends of Runeterra, Teamfight Tactics, so much they have on the horizon. And people have always joked that Riot's a one-game studio, and they've continued to show that they could have really just been a one-game studio, but they put out even more content based around their lore and the characters they have, and it's doing well. And with that, that is our coverage of League of Legends. Hate it, love it, let us know what you think. But as always, Derek, why did we choose it? What do you think? We chose this game, obviously, for the same point that we've made quite a few times throughout this episode. The effect that it had on e-gaming is something that's propelled e-gaming into another stratosphere. It's really helped legitimize that as a sport. It's helped people, I think, start to look at esports differently. You know, not just the fans, but more casual people, I think, are able to just have a respect for what these guys are able to do. You know, the amount of money that goes into that is obviously a very, very high dollar amount. And to have it on a sports, traditionally a sports television channel, you know, with the same sort of commentary, the same things that you would see in an NFL broadcast or an NBA game, you know, to see that on TV, it's undeniable to look at that and say that you're going to try and discredit what these guys are able to do in any way. It takes a lot of skill and talent and they dedicate their entire lives, you know, to playing it. So, you know, how could we not talk about league at that point where a lot of the games, like I said, at the the top of just the general reception, a lot of games come and go and maybe you go back and play them because you really love them or they just kind of carry a little bit of a nostalgic place in your heart, but this is a game that just has a lot of legs and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. You know, it's going to be a game that sticks around for a long time. They've really been able to figure out, I think a lot of the issues with balancing and they continue to get better. And I think esports as a whole continues to get better and it's great. It's exciting. So I don't think that I can give this game a number review. I don't think that would be fair. Um, I got pushed out pretty early from playing league just because of the toxicity, you know, to be truthful. So mm-hmm. I'm going to hand it over to you. What do you think about this game? You know, as someone in, I think, 2010 through 2014, I played a lot of League of Legends. Um, I worked at Best Buy at the time. It's what we did. We played World of Warcraft, Magic, and League. Because you know Best Buy, it's where the nerds go. And so (laughs) I played a lot of it and and really got into it and really enjoyed playing with teams. Like you said, there's always been, and still is, a very toxic player base that just needs a hug at times. But it definitely is tough to get into, especially if you are trying to be like, I'm new to it, or I haven't played, like Alex, in years. I'd love to try some new champions. It's there, but there's no denying what it has done for the world of esports, what it's done for Twitch, what it's done for any form of streaming whatsoever. It's established the career paths of so many people. It's established so much across the world. We always, it's always hard as a US citizen to pretty much see outside the US scope, but to see like how many countries, how many people all over the world play this every day 
And everyone knows North America, poopy. Europe is very good. Asia, very good. But North America is poopy. That's the joke. And I will say it. So you all have to thank me now. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's, it's a game that has now spawned off a couple more that are fantastic. Valorant is topping it. Teamfight Tactics is topping it. I mean, Legends of Ruterra is, is a thing. Um, but it's done amazing. And Riot's done amazing with it, and it's so cool to see where it is. And weirdly enough, my favorite thing of League of Legends is the lore. Checking it online, and just, I love lore stuff. Whether, like I said, it's D&D, or whether it's coming from a game, it's so much fun to see the effort people put in to make what their characters are, who they are, who do they know, what's their reason for being. It's so much fun. So if I had to give this a rating, I would give it the characters that I played from 2010 through 2014. Uh, it would be a Twitch, plus Fiddlesticks, plus Garen, plus Jinx, plus definitely not Twisted Fate. I didn't understand him when I first played him, so knock him out of the, the, the contention. Add in Azir. I was pretty good with him. He was fun. Um, and then divide that by how much I hated the jungle and didn't understand it out of 10. Nice. I like it. Thank you very much. Thank I don't you. understand that one as much. There were oh. no rock references. I will rate your rating instead oh, of the oh, game. It's, it's, a, it's a, a zero rating. Zero out of ten for sure. Oh. Huh. Sorry. Huh. Huh. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall, Derek Baker, Evan Barr, and Richard Scanlon. The intro and outro music for this episode was composed and recorded by our friend Evan Barr. Beautiful. We always love them. And we always love those people over at Patreon. Um, for those of you who don't know, we just finished up our second session of our D&D Finish the Fates, which has been going fantastic, as well as we just updated our Minecraft server. And if you're not interested in those, we've got plenty of other things on Patreon, including some physical rewards like shirts, stickers, posters, plenty of things like that, plus shout-outs, exclusive Discord stuff, cool things. Go check it out. want to thank those people today with Tactics, Sky the Bear, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Trace, Mega, Nick Hyman, Richard Scanlon, McChief, Climbing Spork, Miss Straight T98, William Curl, and Mr. Toot. So thank you all so much. Give us a follow on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. We'd love it if you were to join our Discord. It's free to join. Alex and I are over there having a lot of fun hanging out. That's where you'll find a lot of those updates about the Minecraft server, the D&D nights. So we'd love to see you drop by. Hit us up. And you can catch us over at Twitch. You can catch me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. As well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is thebakerman247. Got a little meatball meow in there. I like that. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review. We love hearing from you guys, and it helps us out a lot. And with that, again, our coverage of League of Legends. What did you think? Have you played League? Are you a League diehard, or have you stuck away from it? I know it's fun to meme on, but let's get talking. As always, I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Eric Baker. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. <laughs>